1 Timothy chapter 5, and we'll read verses 3 to 16. This is the word of the Lord. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. This is the reading of God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, we thank you this morning again. We get to sit amongst our brothers and sisters, mothers, fathers, and we get to worship you together, Lord. We thank you, Lord, though we are different and unique, we find our one hope in Christ Jesus. So we ask that this morning as we sit under your word, that your spirit would indeed continue the good work that you have began, that you would affirm the things that you are working on in each individual lives, and that you would bring salvation to those who desire to seek after you. Lord God, we pray, teach us this morning, conform us, that we may give you glory and edify one another. We thank you, we pray this in your son's name, amen. Last week we've talked about as we've gone through verse 1 and 2, that the church is like a family. We see mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. And like a family, a spiritual family, we are instructed in how we are supposed to behave or conduct ourselves with one another. So if the church is a family in the household where many are gathered, we know that each and every one of us come from varying life stages experiences, struggles, hopes, desires. And obviously that means that the, the age range is diverse, that there are both genders here, that there are different economic statuses and different social affiliations. Some of us are in college, some of us are working, some of us are married with children, and some of us are too cool to be boxed in by any of those categories. 
But a church, like a household, if it indeed is a spiritual family, then it's not a surprise that there are a lot of needs within this household, within this family. There are a lot of needs that require resources from the church and care from the church. And so if this household, this spiritual family, indeed is gathered from all different parts and aspects of life, then there are a lot of things that need attention. In today's text, we find instruction on how the church should care for its members well, specifically the widow. Yet it also teaches us how the church can dispense its resources wisely. And and, and the wisdom here is balanced on, on both setting up a structure in the household, our direct family, as well as the household of faith, what we call the church. As we have read here, it begins by saying, honor the widow. And Paul will continue with this honor theme throughout. If you look here in verse 3, honor the widows who are truly widows. Verse 17, let the elder who rule be considered worthy of double honor. 6.1, bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. Paul is concerned with honor. Currently, I know in many Asian cultures, we we understand this. It's pretty familiar to us. And I want to encourage you and say that honor is not just an Asian or a Korean or Eastern thing. It's actually a, a biblical paradigm, this understanding of honor and shame. I know many of us grew up in this church or perhaps one that's predominantly Korean or Asian, and, and you have developed a distaste for culture, tradition, Korean things. The only thing you like is the food and all the bowing and all the who's your father, who's your family, what has your family done? We don't want anything to do with it. But here we see that Paul actually addresses honor, and honor is an important thing. We'll have you washed and dried Primped and polished till you grow with pride. Trust my recipe for instant bride. You'll bring honor to us all. Wait and see when we're through. Boys will gladly go to war for you. With good fortune and a great hairdo. You'll bring honor to us all. And from the movie Milan, some of you guys might recognize the song or the, or the scene here. Milan is getting ready, and she's, she's being washed, and her hair is getting taken care of, and makeup, and it's, and it's all about this honor. And, and at the end of the song, all the women are echoing, please bring honor to us, please bring honor to us, please bring honor to us all, right? It's about honor. And honor, again, is not just an Asian value. It's not just something we find in specific communities. But, but honor is, is something here we see that's actually biblical. And so then I, I want us to consider what, what is honor? What is an honorable woman? And what is an honorable family and church? So first, what, what is honor? Many of us come in with a biased, colored, hued, jaded type of view of honor, but what what does the Bible mean when it says honor? And specifically here, as we see the case and study of a widow, what is an honorable widow, an honorable woman? 
And lastly, what is an honorable family and by extension, the church family? So point one, honor means to value. Honor means to respect and give reverence, but I want to hone in on this aspect of it it means to give value. When you honor someone, you are giving them value. So, So if you honor your family, you are increasing or upholding their value or respectability in the community. And what I'm too familiar with, if you dishonor your family, you bring shame upon your family. You are decreasing the family's value or respectability in the community. I remember growing up, people often asking when I mess up or when I was naughty, what is your father's name? (laughs) I remember my, my, my parents always saying, you need to conduct yourself or behave properly or they're gonna they're gonna curse your parents they're gonna say who raised this boy and there's a korean saying yokmogo literally translates eating curses and the koreans dread that the most to to hear criticism and curses from other people is that devalue and decrease the honor of a household but here honor again is is not just this 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 ambiguous cultural thing. It's, it's, it's to give value. So then in our text here, let's look. In 1 Timothy 5, verse 3, as well as 5 through 6, it says, Honor widows who are truly widows. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has her hope set on God, and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. So who is a true widow? Well, the Bible tells us it's someone who is left all alone. She has no one to depend on or hope in, and her only hope and her full dependence is on God. It is set and placed and fixed on God. And so she continues in supplication and prayer day and night, not only for herself, but as she intercedes for the church. We see in the context here that there were women in the church who, whose husbands passed away and they were left widowed. And so Paul is concerned here, right? Not just with the pastors, the elders, the deacons, not just generally men and women, young and old, but he is concerned for specific people who often get overlooked like widows, And so Paul is instructing Timothy and Timothy, the church, and now I, us, here, on what is the proper structure to care for widows or those who are often forgotten and devalued. You see, this means, by by, by nature of us being told to, to, to honor widows, this means that God honors widows. This means that God values widows. He, he, He gives them worth and respectability when society would rather just just address it politely and then move on and forget about them, when when society would rather just discount them, see them as a person with, with not too much value, but maybe even just more of a burden to the church or the people, God sees them and he honors them. He gives them value. He counts them as worth it or worthy. And he wants us, you and I, he wants the church 
from old and even till now and to come, to see and honor and give value to widows. Now, this is a general truth about God because although our text here, our case and study is addressing specifically widows, this is true of God's nature, that he is a God for the lost, the broken, the, the, the undervalued, the forgotten. In the Old Testament, we often find this, the triplet of, of orphans and widows and sojourners. That's the very people that God cares for, that the, the very people that God values and gives dignity to, God honors and values the less, the small, the unexpected, the unseen, and the ones who are often forgotten. And I have to confess here because I wanted wanted to give us a, a slew of examples in the Bible to prove the case in point that God values the undervalued. And I started to list out all these names, like King David, Moses, and I'm going, I'm going, and I was just like, you know what? it would probably be more appropriate for me to list some women in the Bible that the Lord valued. And I sat there, and I was able to jot one or two, and, and, and I realized, like, man, i got to repent. I, I don't know my, the women of my Bible well. I don't, I don't remember them and look to them, or, or perhaps even ironically, as I'm trying to preach this text and study it, value them. And so i got to confess to you, I had to sit there and Google women of the Bible and just have all the names and just remember and think about, again, who they were, their background, and what the Lord did through their lives. And so let me confess that to you. Even as I was preparing this sermon, this message, and challenging us to value widows, that I myself sat there and I was not sure. So... Now that I've prepared, let me give you a few examples. We remember in the Old Testament, Ruth and Naomi, who were widows that nobody wanted, yet the Lord redeemed and cared for. We remember Esther, who had no mother or father, but rather was raised by her uncle and became queen. Remember Hannah, a barren woman who trusted in the Lord, and the Lord blessed with Samuel, her son. Remember people like Leah, who lived in the shadow of her sister's beauty. Remember women like Rahab, a prostitute who brought in the people of God. And in all these women, we think about and we consider that the world did not value them. The world did not deem them worthy of honor. But we see that throughout redemptive history, God honored them, valued them, saw them and didn't allow them to be forgotten as he has even written their names in his holy scripture so that we would learn from them today. God is a God for the least, the broken, the forgotten. And who is the least of these? Who is the least of these? We see that it is, in fact, Jesus. Jesus Christ who came in all humility, born in a manger, son to a carpenter, humiliated, spat on, mocked, crowned with thorns, crucified by the world, laughed at and pointed at. To be a person with least honor and least value. Yet isn't it the same person, Jesus? Isn't it his name that every knee will bow and every tongue confess 
Isn't Jesus the one who is crowned with many crowns? And so one thing I want us to take away as we study God's word here is that God not only cares for the widows, but he cares for those who are broken, forgotten, devalued in society. And he, in a a beautiful, paradoxical way, works through those who are forgotten and devalued for his good plan. Ultimately, even through Jesus, we see in all humility And if we truly trust that God, not withholding his one and only son, gave him up so that we would be brought into his family, how much more will he provide for us all things that we need? Now, we see that this is a widow who understands this. It's a woman that, frankly, I want to learn from, that we should learn from. I want us to understand before we move on that God honors and gives value to those whose society has devalued. So brothers and sisters, are there any of you who, 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 who in your workplace, in your school, in, your, in, in the world out there feels devalued, then know that God honors you and he gives you value. And like this widow, I would encourage and challenge you to have your hope in him, depend on him, pray to him. We are to honor the widow. We are to honor the least of these because God himself honors them and gives them value. Second point, honorable woman. If, if, if honoring means to value, what is the description of this widow, of this woman that deserves this type of, of value? Well, in 1 Timothy 5, in verses 9 through 10, it gives us some qualifications here. Let a woman, let a widow, sorry, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. We're being told that a, a, a widow, a woman who is honorable, who, who should be valued by the church and enrolled and enlisted to be given financial and, and physical care and spiritual care from the church. There's a woman here where Paul qualifies, at least 60 years old, meaning that she is, she is old in age. She's probably not going to remarry. She doesn't have anyone to look to to provide for her needs. That throughout her life, that she was wife of one husband, she, that she was faithful and that she has a reputation for good works. Here it lists that she raised her children, that she showed hospitality, that she even washed the feet of saints in all humility, that she cared for the afflicted, and that she devoted herself to every good work, which is all-encompassing to say this is a woman who has given her life to the church. Now, now before we address the younger widows, here is an example of a dignified, of an honorable woman who in her many years of faithfulness now, reaching the age of 60, the church is instructed to love, to care, and to provide. This, 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 this elderly widow here in our, in, our, in, our, in our text is not just a role model or an example of godliness for young women to look up to. In fact, this is an example of godliness 
that we all ought to look up to, to, to grow in age gracefully in such a way where we can say that, and it can be said of us, that we were faithful, that we raised our children, that we were humble enough to wash the feet of saints, that we showed hospitality, that we cared for all those who are afflicted, that we've devoted ourselves to every good work. And here we, we, we find ourselves being able to learn from, from this widow who is deserving of honor, of value, because she has lived a life of such godliness as she trusts in the Lord. Now, in the following verses, 11 through 15, I don't want to spend too much time here, but, but Paul says this, but refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned in their former faith. Now, now, Paul isn't linking younger widows as those who are dishonorable. What, what, what we can see here is in the context of what was going on, that there were not only older widows, but also younger widows. And in the church at this time, it was, what was happening was that younger widows seemed to be marrying again, which Paul says is good, yet they often marry a non-believer and leave the faith, which is bad. And so here, I believe Paul is addressing something specific here, that if indeed, instructionally, you are a younger widow, that it is okay to remarry, that is, it is encouraged to raise children and to be faithful and continue to grow in godliness. But I think here the point that we are to look at and value is this honorable widow, this honorable woman, who has lived the years of her life faithfully. Men, we need to learn from women like this. Sisters, we need to learn from women like this. So this is not just something that, that is deemed as, as an as a honorable woman, but as we study this word, as we're instructed by it, we're actually being told, what does it mean to be an, an honorable person, an honorable member of God's family? Lastly, honorable family and church. Now, this is a little bit where the challenge is going to come, so just get ready. All right, I gave you forewarning. 1 Timothy 5, 4 here. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. What we're being told here is that if there indeed is a widow, that she has lost her husband, she is old in age, then the primary responsibility of care falls not first to the church, but to her children whom she has raised over the years. The children that she has reared and loved and wiped the snot of and, and, and nourished from her breasts and took care of from her bosom and, and, and spent the long nights with her. Or what we are being told here is that if there is a widow then it is first the children's and the family's responsibility to take care of her. Now, it uses an interesting uh, choice of words here. It, it, it says, to, so that they may first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. This is, I think, to some degree, financial 
to, to give back to this widow who has cared for them and poured out for them. Return is, is, is essentially a financial support, a, a, a support that's not limited to finances, but all-encompassing. It's crass to say that the children are like an insurance policy, but rather, it's, it's more helpful to look at it as, as a woman who has poured into her children her family. And now it is the family's turn to love and to pour into her. Brothers and sisters, this is the way we need to look at our parents, generally speaking. And I would go, I would even take it a step further in terms of application to this body. This is the way perhaps we ought to look at the first generation who has given their lives and sacrificed so much and reared this church from infancy. It is the responsibility of the children to give a return to their parents. This is the general principle. And this is pleasing to God. This is pleasing to God. We, we get so caught up, many of us, in, in cultural norms and traditions, and, and whenever it infringes upon our independence, or our own desires, we hate it. And we start to say, this isn't Christian, this is Korean. And I'm telling you right now, in God's word, it instructs us that taking care of the elderly of our church, our parents is not an Asian or a Korean or a culturally bound thing. It is biblical. It is biblical. Paul continues, verse 7 through 8. He says, command these things as well. Command it. I'm commanding you guys to give a return and to love and take care of your family. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach or blame. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. These are strong words here. Paul is saying, if you, are, if you say you are a Christian, yet you neglect to provide for your own family, whether it be a brother, a sister, a mother, a father, a cousin, Paul is saying that if you as a Christian who has received all the riches of God's mercy and grace, if you as a Christian has received the gift of eternal life so that the temporal things no longer have eternal value or effect on you, if you are a Christian who has accepted a gift from God and who can say that nothing in this world glimmers or shines better than what I have in Christ Jesus, if you are a Christian that truly says my treasure is in heaven, then we ought to be able to graciously dispense the other blessings, the material blessings that God has blessed us with. And if we can't do that, then Paul is saying that you are actually denying the faith. You are not a Christian. If you can't do that, he's saying that you are worse than an unbeliever because at least an unbeliever, at least a pagan, a renegade, a rebel can have the excuse of, 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 of ignorance. But he's saying if, if you, Christian brother and sister, if you truly trust in the Lord and you have received the gift of salvation, which is eternal life that could never be snuffed out by anything in this temporal realm, then what do you need to cling on to those things for? Money? Hey, I, I get it. I get it. I had an old man say to me, money is like air. You need it all the time. And there is much truth to it. 
But money is also given, support, finances, those things, every good gift comes from God. And so I want to challenge us because as much as I would like to just kind of skim over this, I know, I know the realities of our, our families or household because I know the reality of our, our community and our context, because I know what it's like growing up in a Korean household or an Asian household, because I know that there are probably people that our parents have cursed to, even to us or under their breath, that guy, I'm never lending him money again. That guy, is not part of my family. He's no longer my brother. I don't consider them my family. I never want to talk to him again. I can't stand it. Because I know the reality of those interactions within our, our, our own intimate four walls, I, I wanted to challenge and encourage us once more. If you truly believe that you have everything and all your needs are met in Christ, then can't we be generous to our own kin, our own family? Why? So that we can also testify to the gospel. So that we, we, don't, we don't just give out money, but as we help a brother, a sister, a mother, a father in need, even in our own blood relations, that we can also say, man, you did me dirty a couple times, and it's hard for me to trust you, but I love you, you're my family, and I'm giving you this because I'm trusting in God. It's going to be a hit to me, it's going to be a loss for me, and even if you don't pay me back, I'm giving it to you because I know even if you don't pay me back, God has my back and he is my provider. Not my job, not my boss, not my paycheck, not my bonuses, not the lottery, God. And so I'm going to give this to you. Use it wisely. Use it wisely. Going back to honoring our mother and father. I know, I know many of our mothers and fathers are, are sick and ailing and growing old. Love them. Take care of them. Give them a return for the years of their love and faithfulness to you because this isn't a, a cultural value. This is godliness being lived out. This is godliness being lived out. Now, this, this, this type of framework is, is, is important. It first starts with the immediate household. It then goes into the spiritual household of God, the church. And then it's supposed to go into the world. So if you think about it, as we've been going through this study, we've talked about who? We've talked about leaders of the church, elders and deacons. And what does the Bible qualify them with? That they need to love their family, be faithful to their wives, raise their children, and that they need to have the support of their family, that their family would testify to that man that he is a good father, a good husband, and he loves the Lord. What are we being told here? That Christians who are gathered here in the spiritual household of the Lord in faith, if we are to truly love one another, it doesn't start with here in this room. In fact, I know it's difficult, but it starts within the four walls of your home. It starts within the way your family name branches out. And then it leaks into the church. Right? It, and, and I think this is what the Bible wants us to understand. We can talk about loving one another. We can talk about doing uh, uh, godly and, and, and right things and beautiful things together as a church. But if our household, there is no love there, then it's a sign that probably in the church there's not going to be much change. If we want to love our spiritual family well, we have to first learn to also love our direct family well. And I know this is a challenge, but this is what the Lord commands us of this 
today. It's the household which broadens into the church and the hope is that it broadens into the world. How can we love one another? How can we love those in the world if we aren't willing to love those in our own household, to love them, to provide for them? And so what is an honorable family, an honorable church? Verse 16, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. The responsibility of the family is to take care of your own family. But if there is anyone without the family, if there's a widow who has no one to depend on, then yes, of course, the church is there to provide and be the family. So it challenges both our, our, our view of family and also our view of church. The, the church budget or the resources is not something to be taken advantage of. It's not a free-for-all. It's not something everyone can just apply for. And if, you, if you're lucky, you get it. No, within the structure of provision and resources in this family, first it ought to come from the family and then also the church to support. So, brothers and sisters, let me conclude. If, if indeed, if indeed as Christians, like this widow, we can say that our God is our all in all, then, 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 then let us be gracious to one another. If he indeed is our everything, then let us joyfully provide and take care of those in our household, here in this church, and then go out into the world and share that same gospel, that same good news in Christ Jesus, that we have everything in God. So come, those who joy in morning sun and those weeping through the night. Come, those who tell of battles won and those struggling in the fight. For his perfect love will never change and his mercies never cease, but follow us through all our days with the certain hope of peace. Come young and old from every land, men and women of the faith. Come those with full or empty hands. Find the riches of his grace. Over all the world as people sing, shore to shore we hear them call, the truth that cries through every age. Our God is all in all. God, our God, the God we worship is all in all. He, he can at the same time be a father to the orphan, a husband to the widow, a, a, a master and a caretaker for the sojourner. He can be the king, the prince, the savior, the provider, the sustainer. In Christ, our God is our all in all. Let us rejoice together. Let us rejoice not just in words, but rejoice by taking care of our household, taking care of our church, and going into the world and sharing this very good news so that all who are devalued would be honored and know that the Lord honors them and loves them and sees them. Let's pray together, church. Let's pray.